Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well done, and thank you for uncovering Whitehall Sources, your new insider podcast on politics, brought to you in association with The Resident, hotels with excellent rooms in exceptional locations and where thoughtful teams deliver heartfelt hospitality. A bit like number 10, but with The Resident, evening drinks are from Justerinian Brooks. They don't get wheeled up a road to you in a suitcase. Thanks to The Resident, your favourite podcast starts now. Hi Callum, Chris Mason here, BBC Political Editor. A quick note from the back of a cab as I dash from one thing to the next. This is Pippa Carrera, political editor of The Guardian. At this time of year, personally, I'm gonna need a lot of I'm gonna need a lot, a lot of therapy. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Thursday, the 22nd of December. And just a quick bit of behind the scenes admin. This is actually the first of two episodes which we're recording today. You obviously are hearing this one today. (laughs) And uh, the next one that we're recording, you will hear next Thursday. That one is looking at Whitehall Christmas parties and indeed the very different experiences that Kirsty and Frankie have had during Christmas time in Whitehall. Uh, So you'll hear that next week, Thursday, the 29th of December. The week after that, which will be the first Thursday in January in 2023 we're going to review our most watched clips on tiktok of 2022 uh, and you'll get a chance really to hear how the year was shaped based on what got the most views and you'd be amazed actually it's quite a superficial measure obviously of the stories of the year you'd be amazed at how accurately it really pinpoints those moments throughout the last couple of months of our podcast's existence Uh, so that's how the next couple of weeks are looking how about today, though? Uh, so, of course, we have Kirsty, we have Frankie with us. Hello, both. Hello. Lovely to have you there. Also on today's episode, which we're calling Jaw Droppers, because it's about the jaw-dropping moments of 2022, you will hear from Robert Peston, ITV's political editor, Chris Mason, the BBC's political editor, Lucy Fisher, who is Times Radio's chief political commentator, 
Also, Pippa Creerer, The Guardian's political editor. And friend of the podcast, Ben Nunn, who's a former director of communications for Sir Keir Starmer. And Jake Richards, who used to work with the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reed. All of these people have taken time out of their day specifically to record their jaw-dropping moment of the year just for you on Whitehall Sources. You won't get that anywhere else. Of course, you can share your moments as well. If we missed any or do you want to add to the ones we're talking about, you can email anytime. Hello at whitehallsources.com is the email address. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok as well. Now, I think we should just dive straight in, actually, because uh, Robert Peston, first of all, gives really quite a helpful overview of the chaos of the year. So here is ITV's political editor. There's no such thing as a single most jaw-dropping, most momentous event of 2022 because the whole of 2022 is momentous and shocking. Um, Three prime ministers in two months, um, a prime minister uh, forced to resign because 60 members of his own government had lost confidence in his fitness to be prime minister, Um, a mini budget that shook the markets, that saw a meltdown in government bonds, uh, surging interest rates paid by government and by uh, all of us, that in turn led to um, an unprecedented series of U-turns on tax cuts and then the sacking of a chancellor for only implementing the policies that the new Prime Minister Liz Truss um, had wanted and told her party's members she would be implementing during her leadership campaign, which meant that her position was no longer sustainable, that she would become and did become the shortest serving Prime Minister in history. And all of this against a backdrop of global political and economic events that will define this era. Putin's invasion of Ukraine, a war on the edge, well, in Europe, of a kind that, you know, all of us hoped we would never see in our lifetimes. Extraordinary surges in gas and oil prices. Um, The aftershocks politically and economically still of Brexit and the aftershocks economically and politically of COVID. So a year that will define an era that we will be making sense of for weeks, months, years to come. Um, And it means this time of year, personally, I'm going to need a lot of, I'm going to need a lot lot of therapy. (laughs) So Peston's off for therapy. I think, Kirsty, he sets up our jaw-dropping episode quite nicely, actually, because, oh my goodness, what a year. Yeah, I mean, he's right. There's never been a year like it politically. I think we are all exhausted. I think every time we thought we'd hit peak politics in 22, something came along and said, hold my beer, right? I mean, it was just (laughs) one, you know, gobsmacking moment after another. And uh, it really is kind of hard to pinpoint the one that, you know, made your jaw, like, properly land on the floor because there were there were tons of them, frankly. Yeah. And the start, and I was thinking about this, and, and, you know, when you go back to, you know, the Downing Street parties and Pinchergate and all that, it feels like another country at the back end of the year, you know. And it, you know, and I had to keep them going back and checking that things weren't, you know, yeah, that really did happen this year. Oh, yeah, that really did happen this year because there was so much news coming at you, you know, what do they say, you know, sometimes, you know, history happens really slowly and then comes at you all at once. Well, it it came at us like a juggernaut this year. Yeah. And I just think we need to 
you know, lie down with a damp cloth over our heads for Christmas and get over it. That is absolutely right. Uh, we will get Kirsty's jaw-dropping moment before the end of the episode. Hold on for that. Um, Frankie, when you consider this year, are you, feel- are you feeling like, like Robert Peston, that he needs therapy? I don't know if I feel like I need therapy, um, but I definitely feel like it's just been one thing after mm. another. And like Kirsty, I'm surprised when I think of everything that happened this year um, that we're still kind of alive, to be honest. I mean, the year has been absolutely crazy, and I'm just glad that I'm not a political advisor at this point because I can't imagine how it would be in any way possible to have survived this year without feeling like I need therapy, a new brain, or, you know, a week in the Caribbean. And obviously because I'm not Boris Johnson, I wouldn't be getting it for free either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, here we go. Let's crack on then. Robert Peston, thank you. Uh, he sent that specifically for our podcast, as all of these lovely people have, which is wonderful. Uh, he set it up very nicely. Let us turn now to the BBC's political editor, Chris Mason, who, of course, we heart. We do. Hi, Callum. Chris Mason here, BBC political editor. A quick note from the back of a cab as I dash from one thing to the next. Story of my life. Biggest jaw-dropping moment of the year. The thing is, I I feel like my jaw has been sort of dragging along the pavement for pretty much the entire year. So it has been perpetually dropped until I kind of hauled it back towards my other set of gnashes a couple of weeks ago when it looked like we might actually have a stable government for a little while. Um, I think those moments would probably be the point where I got a phone call saying that Boris Johnson was going to resign calls or texts after that either. So I think we can say with reasonable confidence that that is the conversation that's happening in Downing Street right now. A conversation... In fact, uh, Michelle, as I speak to you, I'm getting a call from Downing Street, so I'm going to take this call and I'll come back on to you uh, in just a second. Chris, you take that call. Let me tell on... Uh, Tobias, Elwood, forgive me. We're going to interrupt you because Chris Mason has news. Yes. um, Chris, let's go straight back to you. You were just talking to Downing Street. The Prime Minister has agreed to stand down. And then I think the Tory party conference, which was just the most extraordinary political gathering I've ever, ever been at, as the skids appeared to be well and truly under Liz Truss. And before I get drowned out by a passing police car, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Cheers. That is the absolutely brilliant Chris Mason. Thank you, Chris, for sending that. Uh, A couple of things in there. Boris Johnson's uh, resignation, actually, which we will come back to in a minute or two. Um, I suppose, just in terms of sort of considering it in passing, the fact that Chris was on air when Downing Street were then calling him to say, look, this is going to happen. Uh, Kirsty, do you remember that, that morning, that day, and I suppose just that feeling that the pressure had built to such a point that this was it, it was done? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, we do hawk Chris Mason, and the reason we hawk Chris Mason so much is that he's uh, an impeccable journalist with impeccable judgment. Mm. And I think that was one of the... And I actually remember I was watching the TV at the time because, obviously, I think we were all glued to the TV at the time. And I remember that moment. And, you know, he had a he had a call, and as everybody kind of called it, right, and just... It was such a, I mean, that for me uh, kind of was one of those, you know, obviously one of those standout moments. It was just a cascade and it just kept coming. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you remember the the, the Prime Minister was uh, in front of the Liaison Committee uh, and was busy talking about something of no great relevance while the 
shattering, cascading, like, you know, backdrop of his government was collapsing around him. And at one point, Darren Jones says to him, I'm going to have to stop you there because right now three of your cabinet ministers are in number 10 asking you to, telling you that you have to resign. And I think the Prime Minister says, some blusters something about, oh, well, you know, we're not dealing in, I don't want to deal in hypotheticals. And Darren Jones says, this is not hypothetical. They are in number 10 right now, demand that you you resign. Um, And that for me was one of those, you know, in in a year of just extraordinary moments, just such high drama um, and... What a brilliant choice by the BBC to to have Chris Mason, here, here. you know, uh, become the political editor and narrate. I mean, he is just a force of nature and has been a, a, just a constant delight, uh, insightful, brilliant, witty, very hardworking. Yeah. Uh, we do really heart Chris We Mason. really, truly do. And one of the loveliest people you will ever encounter, ever. Um, Frankie, I noticed you nodded nodded along when he was discussing Conservative Party conference as well, which Chris described as, you know, just one of the most, well, frankly, bizarre, confounding and ridiculous political gatherings he's ever experienced. Yeah, I mean, I was texting friends of mine who were journalists because I was trying to get the inside track on what was going on. And I remember I got a text back from someone who shall not be named who just said, it's just chaos. I've never seen anything like it. And I've worked conferences before that have been chaos I mean back to the conference in 2019 I remember being at um I mean this shows kind of my difference in politics I was at a party kind of ran by momentum called the world transformed in Brighton and suddenly we you know we had a work whatsapp chat and in the whatsapp chat we had a message saying and we might you might be seeing the news about Andrew Fisher who at the time was our director of policy Uh, just to let you know, we're very sad to hear about it. And, you know, we'll be doing an office briefing in due course, bearing in mind this is in the middle of conference where, you know, there are journalists left, right and centre. You're also having quite a lot of fun. And then one of my friends came up to me and said, have you seen the front page of the Sunday Times? And I said, I've not seen the front page of the Sunday Times. I'm three beers down and having a dance. (laughs) And they showed me and it was the resignation letter of Andrew Fisher, our director of policy. And in that letter, it basically said that, our office was chaos and that, you know, we weren't going to win an election. So I've seen my fair share of it. So when I saw what was happening at Conservative Party conference, I kind of knew all too well what it's like to feel like you're inside something that is breaking apart. And the problem is, is that you have to make a choice about whether you're going to kind of be steely in your resignation, that you're going to be part of the people who save that chaos, or whether you're just going to sit back and be like, this is mental. I'm just going to see how this goes. And I feel like what happened for the staffers who were there, if you weren't like literally within the inner circle of Liz Truss, you kind of just went along for the ride. Like people were briefing left, right and centre. They were going to events being like, yeah, we're just waiting for her to resign. I mean, I don't know if you felt the same, Kirsty, but it just felt like a kind of, it was just a laugh, wasn't it? Nobody was taking it seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Uh, it was extraordinary. Um, uh, look, I, I I can remember the uh, Ian Duncan Smith Quiet Man conference where his leadership was on the line. Um, he delivered uh, an underwhelming uh, leader speech, which got a ridiculous, like, I think, 19 orchestrated standing ovations during the course of it. It was that one where the quiet man is turning up the volume. Um, it was that one. I, for some reason, I tried to. I went into a bit of William Hague there. I apologise. <laughs> that was great. 
Doesn't sound anything like uh, William Hague. Um, anyway, so, uh, and as I left, because I felt the need to be kind of collegiate, I, I, I saw a, a minister who should remain nameless and I said, oh, it's a good speech. And he went, oh, yes, yes, yes. He went, of course, he'll be gone by Christmas. Um, and and that was, that was I thought, kind of the, the pinnacle of, like, weird conferences until this one. And this one was off the chart crazy. Um, and you would do, uh, you would do, um, you know, media appearances and stuff with, with supportive, you know, Liz Trust supportive uh, MPs who would sit on a panel with you and say, you know, X, Y and Z, and then you'd get off. And then I'm like, oh, my God, this is a disaster. X has done this and so-and-so's done this. And everyone was talking in corners about, you know... And there was a real anger as well, by the way, um, uh, from a lot of MPs about this complete breakdown of, of collective cabinet responsibility. I mean, obviously, you know, I was in Theresa May's government and we know a thing or two about a lack of, of, of cabinet discipline. But this was just off kind of another level. This was people, you know pre-briefing about the sorts of policies that they would or wouldn't put up with, you know, and what they and drawing up their red lines for what they would accept and sign up to. It was the most extraordinary conference I've ever been to. Mm. It was I mean, without the weapons, it was the closest thing to open warfare I've ever seen. <laughs> and in a Conservative Party, by the way, that is a very high bar. <laughs> um to, yeah, it was just yeah, it was just breathtaking. The whole thing was crazy. I remember yeah. being on holiday at the time. I was lying on a sun lounger in Ibiza that week and we were standing by to launch this podcast. And basically we hadn't launched it yet because I was going on holiday. And it was like, well, there's no point in doing it because we'd, I'd then want a week off and, you know, all of that. So all the logistics. And I was lying on my sun lounger, scrolling on Twitter, listening to Times Radio, thinking... Oh my goodness, we ha we are missing the political drama of the year in terms of our little did we know, of course, but we're missing the political drama of the year by missing everything that's going on at Conservative Party conference and some of the stories that emerged from it about uh, you know the kind of shouting matches between journalists and and staff and advisors about stories that are going to run, briefings that they've had, lines that they've had. I mean, gosh, it was just relentless carnage. Well, we had James Hill actually write in um, to the podcast to talk about one of those stories. So James Hill um, from The Spectator? James Hill of The Spectator, an author of um, Out of the Blue, the book about Liz Truss, which actually the book itself became a bit of a running joke, didn't it? Because the book took longer to publish than she survived. That's right. And he and Harry Cole were basically rewriting it every single yeah. day for, for that 40-odd so, days. Yeah, so, so James writes in and says, you know, late on the first night of Tory conference in Birmingham, I was sipping on a glass of warm white wine in a Tory grandee's suite in the Hyatt Hotel with a dozen other journalists and cabinet ministers when we heard a sudden commotion in the corridor outside. Harry and I assume this is Harry Cole was in a shouting match with a number 10 advisor over the rumour that the government was U-turning on the 45p top rate of tax. Now, that was kind of the most un unpopular policy. So no surprise. But to do it at conference is quite a big thing. And uh, this quote from Harry, we're running the story unless you deny it. I cannot confirm those reports insisted that aid robotically as the back and forth reached its climax. Suddenly they raced each other to the lift and uh, Harry Cole shouts, we're running it. <laughs> the news broke on the Sun website and that's how the country and the ministers in that suite learned that the trust mini budget was beginning to unravel. And he'll adds on the end of this, which isn't published, that one of the ministers and the Tory grandee just turned around and said, 
More champagne, anyone? <laughs> oh, there is something spectacularly delicious about that, isn't there? Oh my word. Oh gosh. Right, okay, let's carry on with our jaw-dropping moments of the year, as described uh, by, of course, Kirsty and Frankie, but also political editors, political reporters, uh, former advisors, and friends of the podcast as well. Next, to Times Radio's chief political commentator, Lucy Fisher. 2022 has felt like a strange fever dream at times, but for me, the most eye-popping moment of this year has to be July the 7th, the day that Boris Johnson finally resigned. It marked the apogee of months of building tension and growing pressure on Johnson. It started the autumn beforehand with the Owen Paterson scandal, in which the government had tried to overhaul the ethics rules and standards watchdog, It was the kind of brazen gambit you'd more normally see in a banana republic rather than the UK. It, of course, spanned the Partygate saga, which resulted in the absolutely extraordinary result of Boris Johnson getting a fixed penalty notice for breaking his own COVID laws. And then his judgment was further called into question when he was seen to be slow to act over sexual misconduct allegations against his deputy chief whip, Chris Pincher. Claims Pincher denied, I should add. But that long, tense build-up erupted into a dramatic final-week meltdown at the beginning of July in which Health Secretary Sajid Javid sensationally resigned with Chancellor Rishi Sunak hot on his heels, followed by around 50 Tory MPs quitting in total. Like sailors frantically trying to plug the holes in a sinking ship, the Johnson team had tried to appoint new ministers to the ever-growing number of vacancies left by quitters. But even though stand-ins turned against him in the end, with his brand new appointment to Chancellor Nadim Zahawi among those U-turning to tell Boris Johnson he had to leave office. And so it finally was on July the 7th, only 24 hours after insisting that he was going nowhere, that he appeared outside that famous black door to admit that the herd had turned against him. He took a swipe at colleagues for what he called the eccentric decision to oust him. And with the notable absence of any apology, he delivered that resentful, defiant speech announcing his departure. Lucy Fisher from Times Radio there, absolutely articulating the downfall of Boris Johnson in such an eloquent manner. And I think actually when I was listening to that there, some of it you do forget that it was all in really quite quite a short space of time that scandal upon scandal, difficulty upon difficulty, culminating in his resignation. Um, that that all happened. Before we get thoughts on that, I want to bring in Pippa Carrera from The Guardian, political editor of The Guardian, because Boris Johnson's um, tenure and scandals and all of that um, are something that she's been considering as well. This is Pippa Carrera, political editor of The Guardian. Now, I find this a really hard request because there's been so many moments in 2022 that have stood out as being particularly striking. It's been a year like no other. In I've covered politics for the best part of 20 years, and it really has presented moments from the fall of Boris Johnson to Liz Truss's 45-day premiership, Rishi Sunak arriving at number 10. And then we've had the Ukraine war and the cost of living crisis and strikes now. So there's been masses of moments to choose from as Britain really has sort of been had this collective whiplash at the speeds of political change that's been going on. So the moment I decided to pick was when Boris Johnson stood down 
as Prime Minister back in July and stood in the streets, the steps of Downing Street and suggested to his MPs it would be eccentric to try and get rid of him. Didn't really seem to get what had happened and how he'd gone in their eyes from being this great electoral winner to actually a, a political liability. And that's why he eventually had to bow to the inevitable and go. And I suppose it started off because there was always questions about Boris Johnson's integrity. We saw that with the Owen Paterson affair, but we've seen that throughout his career. But with the Partygate story that I broke, which was that there was these illegal gatherings, social gatherings at the heart of Downing Street in government, some of which he attended, with people attending them who were who were those that had drawn up the very rules that everybody else was sticking by. And those rules were tough during the pandemic, and this was a real sense of collective endeavour. And I think the revelation of that, that those rules weren't being followed by the very people that had written them angered a huge amount of people and also created the sense of one set of rules for them and one set for everybody else, which I think has, has continued and ultimately put Boris Johnson in last chance saloon with his own MPs. He survived the no-confidence vote, but whatever the next scandal was that came along was always going to be difficult for him, depending on how he handled it. The Chris Pincher hour came along, he handled it badly, and he was out, leading to that moment on the steps of Downing Street in July when he stood down. And of course, people ask me, do you think that's the end for him? Are we going to see a comeback from Boris Johnson? And I'd just say, well, we saw when Rishi Sunak uh, took over from Liz Truss that there was a surreal moment where, where there was this bring back Boris movement. He tried. And I just think that you can't ever underestimate Boris Johnson and his, the scale of his ambition. So I would suggest that none of us should write him off just yet. Pippa Creeder from The Guardian, um, and before that, Lucy Fisher from Times Radio. And I think, guys, it's interesting to pin them down, actually, on, on Boris Johnson. Um, I think that the fact that both chose that as the defining sort of, I, I suppose, the, 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 what am I trying to say, the axis of the year, almost, is where everything kind of spun, was on that resignation. Would you agree with that, Kirsty, that that felt like such a moment in all of this, because it had been building, he resigned, and that just spun us off in a totally different direction? Well, and it and it and it set in train what then subsequently followed with the Liz Trust government because Boris's acolytes decided that, you know, in the leadership contest it was going to be, you know, anybody but Rishi, which is how they rode behind uh, Liz Trust, and that combined with some very supportive media, I think, probably swung the contest uh, and made her uh, the next prime minister, albeit briefly. Um, I mean, look, I, I think. The, the point to sort of stress here with this is that Boris Johnson resigned because he couldn't form a government. So many of his own ministers, I think it was 57 of his own ministers, resigned. He couldn't form a government. He had no choice but to resign. Um, and he did it in a, you know, a pretty graceless way. You know, when the herd turns, it turns. And, and they both kind of pinpointed this... You know, lack of apology, this lack of real understanding about how he had got here. And it was almost like, I am a lion who has been brought down by, you know, by a pack of hyenas. Well, no, you've been brought down by your own decisions and your own actions, which are, you know, were so corroding the office of the prime minister and the Conservative Party and the standing of the public in the polls that, you know, that your your government collapsed around you and you couldn't form a functioning government. It got so catastrophic, by the way, and so chaotic um, that a, a, a minister I know walked in, was in Downing Street, and the whiteboard was up, which is how they, you know, they, they arrange a, a reshuffle and they stick names against titles and stuff. And because as fast as you're putting people up there, so-and-so's resigning and a new vacancy is coming, uh, uh, someone I know walked through 
spotted a vacancy and said for a joke, oh, you should make so-and-so the Secretary of State there. And the next thing he knows, and it was a joke, by the way, and the next thing he knows, he's been appointed the Secretary of State. You know, I had another story about, you know, a minister who was uh, appointed to a job and he was not sure he was going to take it. And the next thing you know, he's getting ushered into the department and everyone's clapping his arrival. And it's like, I haven't actually said I'm going to take this yet. You know, it was beyond surreal and bizarre. Um, and it just and it just kept coming. So, yes, it was this, you know, it was this slow erosion and this kind of, you know, sense of how much longer, how much more can we put up with this? And then it built and it built and it built into this, you know, this cascade, if you like, of, of you know, of, of resignations, this collapsing government. Um, but you never really got a sense then or even now that, you know, you start, you know, people are already starting to rewrite history and all, you know, the Conservatives were only five behind, points behind in the polls when, when Boris... Uh, resign and Pippa is like a hundred percent right. I've always said you write off Boris Johnson at your peril. Mm. Um, uh, so you know, I, I think this is true. And there is, let's not forget, a huge, substantial rump of the Conservative Party that are still pretty loyal to Boris Johnson and think that he was hard done by. So you know, all of that legacy of Liz Truss and the difficulties that Rishi Sunak has trying to balance a government. Of, of real factions, that underlying, you know, factionality that has now kind of been inbuilt into the Conservative Party hasn't gone away with Rishi Sunak. I know comparatively it all feels very, you know, so much calmer with the grown-ups back in charge and the sensibles in number 10, you know, and they're a good, you know, experienced team of professionals who have brought some stability back in. But all the fundamentals underneath that have seen all those bizarre events that we've seen this year, they're still there. The, you know, the economic crisis, you know, the strikes, all of the external factors, all those huge headwinds hitting the government are still there. But underneath all of that sits a party that is, you know, still at war with itself and hasn't made peace with the sort of Conservative Party it has to be. And that is what Rishi Sunak is trying to govern. And that is the one of the biggest challenges for him is, you know, can he can carry on with this balancing act of these different factions in the party without the whole thing splintering apart over a perhaps unforeseen event that comes down the pike next year. Still to come on Whitehall Sources this episode then, we will get the jaw-dropping moments of Kirsty and of Frankie as well. And in the next couple of minutes, we're going to turn to friends of the podcast for their jaw-dropping moments too. You will hear from Ben Nunn, who used to be communications director for Sir Keir Starmer, and also Jake Richards, who used to advise the Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves. Plus, your thoughts are so, so welcome. You can email anytime. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com. Or, of course, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're on TikTok. Stay right there. We will be right back. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, hotels that are your home away from home in London and Liverpool. Resident hotels provide the perfect base to explore the city. Maybe you stayed in the resident in Liverpool for the Labour Party conference just a few weeks ago, or you may be looking for a base from which to explore London. You might even be on a political pilgrimage to Whitehall and Downing Street, inspired by this very podcast. Whitehall Sources brings you the inside info on politics. The resident brings you insider info on your chosen destination. 
Go to residenthotels.com to become a member and secure exclusive rates, and the resident teams will support you throughout your stay. Whitehall Sources with Callum McDonald, Kirsty Buchanan and Frankie Leach. Thanks so much for being there. Please make sure you follow the podcast and subscribe to it. You join us on our Jaw Droppers of 2022 episode where we're reviewing the many, many moments that shaped the political year. Let's dive straight back in to consider the position of the Labour Party in all of this. Of course, with Frankie Leach, former advisor to Jeremy Corbyn. Frankie, I'm interested actually just at this point because we're about to hear from other friends of the podcast, Ben Nunn and Jake Richards like you both with experience of working with Labour. In hindsight, as we reflect back on this whole year, actually, and the chaos that our amazing political editors have very kindly highlighted for us, uh, do you think that the Labour Party has strategised well around the Conservative chaos? What, what would you say in retrospect about that? I mean, I've always said that I don't think the Labour Party can rest on the laurels of a collapsing Conservative Party. And I think that, you know... Keir Starmer is actually quite lucky in a sense that the Conservative Party has imploded so spectacularly that he's been able to really carve himself out as as Mr Sensible. And I think it will be interesting to see next year where the Labour Party positions itself against a Conservative Party, which by all accounts for now is looking quite, you know, formal, quite sensible. But I also think the interesting thing that Pippa said, which we haven't really discussed yet, is that, you know, we say misunderestimate Boris Johnson at your peril. But I will say, and maybe it's because I don't like the guy, that I actually don't think he's very smart. I think that Boris Johnson, you know, is a totally delirious bloke who seems to think that he's, you know, this great political mastermind. I don't think he is. What I think he is is a front man for some other serious political masterminds. And I think it's them who we misunderestimate at our peril. I think Boris Johnson is a helpful puppet for them to be able to push through some serious reforms that they wanted to see uh, for the Conservative Party and for Britain, you know. And Brexit was the start of that, which is essentially that you use someone to push through some really serious political changes. And I think that's what we misunderestimate. And I worry that, you know, if Boris Johnson sort of fades away and decides he wants to go off and make more money and stops wanting to be king of the world, it's who they choose next as that kind of next figurehead for those kind of politics. And I think that is what will come back. I think that Boris Johnson is unlikely to come back because I think he's too marred now in scandal and I don't think he is able to win. But it'll be interesting to see who those kind of key players in the Boris administration turn to next. Mm. Fascinating thought. And of course, we'll be here throughout 2023 to guide you through uh, whatever happens, whether it's a Uh, recurring appearance for Boris Johnson or otherwise. Right, let's turn to our friends of the podcast for their jaw-dropping moments of the year. And we'll start this bit with uh, a former Director of Communications for Sir Keir Starmer. Here is Ben Nunn. This is a difficult question to answer, given how ridiculous the last 12 months have been. But I think the most jaw-dropping moment for me, and when I realised how ludicrous our politics had become was when I was sat at home in early October with my six-month-old son watching the television and I suddenly realised that he had already lived through two monarchs, two prime ministers and four chancellors. And then a week later, he was on to his third prime minister. But the most cringeworthy moment for me, 
and when I had literally had my head in my hands was when I was listening to Liz Truss do that regional media round just before her party conference. And I was begging it to end and desperately trying to understand why anybody in her team allowed her to do it. <laughs> That's Ben Nunn, who used to work with um, Sir Keir Starmer. And I do actually think, at the risk of over-extrapolating, but I think there's something in that, what he said, politics became very personal this year. You know, he reflected on the uh, his son, who, had, who was witnessing all of these political leaders chopping and changing. And there was that feeling that actually this became something that I am connected to very closely. And also, I think that is actually reflected in the regional media round as well, where Liz Truss was, was found wanting by local BBC local radio presenters who know their patch, know the issues that are at stake, and put them in a great opportunity to speak to the Prime Minister, put them to the Prime Minister, and she's kind of caught a bit short, Kirsty. I think, is that fair for me to say that actually all of this really, really cut through to people, felt personal, felt local, and I don't know, do you feel like our, our politicians were, were found wanting? Uh, yes, I mean, look, clearly this has been a year where our politicians have, have been found wanting. Uh, you know, we started the year with a Prime Minister who had engaged in parties in Downing Street that were in breach of legislation that he had brought in and the rest of us were abiding by. We then ended up with the Prime Minister as a consequence whose, you know, buccaneering free market petri dish experiment uh, ended up having real world consequences for anybody with a mortgage, with a fixed term mortgage that was, was coming to an end and will add hundreds of pounds to a monthly bill on a mortgage for millions of people, you know, this year and next year. Um, so it was a real time where, and I think we've discussed this before, isn't mm -hmm. it, where the kind of the macroeconomics directly impacts on all of us in the case of Boris Johnson and millions of us in the case of the Liz Trust budget. So, yes, there was a real sense of, um, uh, you know, a real sense and not in a great way of, of what goes on in Downing Street and what goes on in, in Whitehall and Westminster having real world consequences for all of us. I think the, um, uh, I think the regional round was a classic example of SW1 thinking it's smarter than the world outside SW1 and the Westminster bubble. Well, you know, that is where most people live outside of the Westminster bubble. 99.9% .9 of us do not live in the bubble. And it was a sense of, you know, of this is where the real world is. This is what people really think. This is how people live their lives. And it, it was excruciating to listen to. I'd listened to the whole thing because obviously... You know, so much was made of how excruciating it was and it just had to be listened to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and kind of serves them right for being so patronising, frankly. Um, and then that was doubled down, if you like, where they'd had a, a press conference, uh, you know, at number 10, which if it was designed to, to calm the horses... Uh, look, I mean, Liz's, Liz, Liz Truss's, you know, uh, strengths were never in the media, ever. And so when, you know, when the proverbial hits the fan, you've got to go out as the Prime Minister and leave from the front. You know, you really felt it. And you had that excruciating conference and no one had sort of said, right, so-and-so is sitting there mm. and this journalist is sitting there. And you had that toe curl. I mean, if we're going for toe curling moment <laughs> of 2022, yeah. it's that absolute... I mean, even now it makes me cringe where she <laughs> scans the room to look for what she thinks is going to be a friendly journalist and she's... 
scanning the room looking for the right journalist and she's going, um, yeah. um, um. I mean, this woman has spawned a million memes this year. Absolutely. Um, but none more than that one. Oh, yeah. and, the, and the two suits curtsy in front of the of the, uh, of the king. Of the king. Um, uh, so, you know, it, ju- it just, it, the whole thing was just absolutely cringe for me. The, and, the, and the regional round, you know, I, I started life as a regional journalist. Uh, you know, we're, we're feisty people and we know our stuff. Absolutely. We did a great stop it and roll it episode on that press conference. Do you remember? It was just the right time for us to pause the action and to analyse exactly what had happened. And goodness me, it was, um, I mean, it was good fun from an objective point of view, but also it was absolutely desperate from a kind of, oh my goodness, you know, let's sympathise a little. Uh, Right, well, uh, let's bring in Jake Richards next, friend of the podcast, former advisor to Labour's Rachel Reeves. Uh, Here is his most jaw-dropping moment of the year. The most jaw-dropping political moment of 2022 for me was when I found out that Matt Hancock was going into the jungle. Uh, This is a guy who really had purported to be a substantial political figure. He was George Osborne's protégé. He saw himself as a key reformer and moderniser of the Conservative Party, but also the country. He thought he would be... Uh, someone who was going to bring technology to the fore of public policy. He was someone who had spent a fair amount of time over the summer trying to woo Rishi Sunak, who had just become prime minister when he made this decision. He was hoping, I'm sure, to be back in the cabinet. And to just watch someone go from a career that was now a decade of climbing the greasy political ladder, desperately attempting to be relevant, to then collapse into celebrity culture and eating kangaroo penis at 9pm on ITV. It it, it represented uh, uh, the decline of the man, frankly, but also, I think, more broadly, what happened to that Cameroonian project which took the Conservatives back into government in 2010. Uh, In many ways, Matt Hancock, I think, is the epitome of that. Here was someone who always pretended to be a substantial figure, who was trying to uh, change and modernise the country, and he ends up uh, in the jungle having to eat awful things for us all to laugh at. Uh, um, In many ways, that was shocking, but perhaps we shouldn't have been surprised. (laughs) Frankie, did your jaw drop at Hancock? An honourable mention from Matt Hancock on this podcast. It didn't because I got the impression after the affair that he'd kind of decided that he wanted to pursue this kind of like pseudo-celebrity politics angle, which is quite funny when you consider the way that the affair came about. Um, you know, such a breach of public trust. It was such a bad political judgment. You know, she was a member of his staff. You know, aside from the personal element of it, it's not something that personally I would want to go around reminding people about. And yet I think he sort of saw it as his opportunity for stardom. And I think, you know, Jake's right. It's an interesting analysis about where those kind of Cameron babies are, if you will, and what their political careers have turned into. I hope that, you know, Matt Hancock is rewarded with a rubbish career in that celebrity, you know, political sphere. I think he's probably aiming to get on Strictly Come Dancing. But if that's the height of his ambition, then that's quite funny 
to me, because it shows that his political career is in the ground, which I hope it is. I think it's interesting when we talk about kind of the way that the fortunes of conservative politicians are changing, because I think my jaw dropping moment for this year was uh, when uh, Dehenna Davison, who we all kind of thought was like a sort of leading light of the young conservative party. She's got progressive social politics around kind of LGBTQ rights. Um, You know, she's talked a lot about being a young woman in the Conservative Party. Now, obviously, her seat is a marginal, but I think the fact that she resigned and said that she didn't see kind of her future in being a Conservative Party politician was quite a shock. And I think quite a few uh, politicians from the Conservative Party have said that they're not going to be standing in the next election. So it does kind of beg the question of what Conservative Party politicians see as their future in the party. And I think next year it'd be really interesting to see how that plays out in the lead up to the election as well. Really interesting to consider Matt Hancock actually as a kind of focal point of the year because he has become a main character over the last couple of years and it looks like it might stay that way, albeit out with politics. What do you make of um, of Matt Hancock, Kirsty, as a, as a jaw dropper this year? Yeah, uh, I, I'm a bit of a Frank on this one. I'm not sort of surprised that we, you know, we end up in this in this place. Hats off to Harry Cole. He was again, I think, the person that broke the uh, Hancock story about him going into the jungle. Um, I mean, look, they say all political careers end in failure. I don't think that's true. I think most end in failure, but some end in reinvention. Uh, I think the key is whether you can reinvent yourself uh, in a credible and sustainable way. I'm not entirely sure that, you know, going into the jungle and then coming out and saying you want to be a serious politician and launching a memoir, the whole thing feels a bit off-kilter to me. But I was interested in the thought about, you know, the Cameron project. You know, uh, there was a whole group of A-listers that came in that were supposed to be the glittery, shiny hope for the Conservative Party. And who were these A-listers? They were Liz Truss, they were Kwasi Kwarteng, they were Priti Patel, they were Dominic Rabb, you know, um, all that kind of promise, if you like, um, has crumbled uh, over the decade. Um, and it's hard right now to see, you know, how, you know, what the Conservative Party does next, how it, how it kind of reinvents itself and who will be the people that will take it forward. You know, it is still a party that is very much dominated by a, a, a kind of rump on the right, if you like. Uh, does it sort of go into opposition and reinvent itself as a centrist party again and a broad church? I don't know, we shall see, that's mm. for the years ahead. But for, for this year, was Hancock my jaw-dropping moment? No, um, I think it falls into my category of kind of peak cringe uh, up there with Liz Truss's press conference and uh, <laughs> Paris's tractor pull. Oh gosh, that's a good one. Right, let's bring in the music then because we have reached the point of the podcast, the culmination of the podcast, where the only two people that really matter, really, in terms of political analysis, Frankie and Kirsty, have their say on the jaw-dropping moment of 2022 <laughs> as far as they are concerned. So brace yourselves. These are people who know it from the inside, who live, breathe it. Kirsty Buchanan, let's start with you. What is your jaw-dropping moment of 2022? 
I mean, again, there are so many to choose from. <laughs> yeah, that's it is the difficult theme. for me. But, the but I think for me, uh, it was it was the confirmation that, that Liz Truss had become the leader of the Conservative Party and then obviously by extension the Prime Minister. Uh, I think Lucy uses the word fever dream. That entire contest for me felt a bit like a fever dream or trapped in some sort of peculiar nightmare from which I could not wake. You know, Rishi Sunak was so self-evidently the better candidate um, and I couldn't quite work out why the sort of train was rattling off the off the tracks, but rattling off it was and there didn't seem to be a way to write it. Um, and that everything that flowed from that in some ways, whilst it was, you know, uh, bizarre, spectacular and awful in turn, wasn't surprising because I worked with Liz Truss, um, I knew her and I was fairly confident that she didn't have the bandwidth for the role. Um, uh, look, I had no idea in my wildest dreams that it was going to be quite the, uh, the train wreck of a premiership as it was, but, you know, th look, there was a reason I wasn't on the, her, you know, campaign team. Um, and that for me, I think the whole, that whole contest, I kind of wanted to sort of shake the collective kind of coat of the, of the Conservative Party and go, you know, what are you thinking? Mm. Uh, so I think it's that for me. I think it was the leadership contest. Yeah, good one. Uh, Frankie, over to you, a jaw-dropping moment of the year. So I actually do have a, a, a jaw-dropping moment and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a supposed jaw-dropping moment because it does actually involve an allegation against one of our most well-known politicians. Can I get a drum roll, please? Oh, gosh, I don't have that on my... on my. I can give you some tension music. Yeah, okay. So, the most jaw-dropping moment I've heard this year about a politician that has some pretty, you know, general jaw-dropping moments every couple of months, but this one takes the biscuit. One Parliament Street has apparently had three power cuts in the last two weeks and I was sent this jaw-dropping moment by one of my own Whitehall sources and he says Jacob Rees-Mogg is apparently to blame for the power cuts that have been happening in Portcullis House. Each office in the cold weather has been given one portable radiator and has been told to only plug one in or the ancient heating system that they have in Parliament will overload with the, because as everybody knows, you know, the electronics in Parliament are not amazing. So they've been given this really serious rule, only one heater can be plugged in. And these power cuts started happening and this Whitehall source told me that it actually cut the electrics in their office and everybody was trying to find out why these power cuts kept happening. And apparently it's because Jacob Rees-Mogg has not one but three portable heaters <laughs> in the office and has been plugging them in and short circuiting the electronics at Parliament in uh, one Parliament Street. And apparently he even demanded the receptionist's personal heater. And this is why we have to say supposed. Um, and apparently it caused a power surge and the parliamentary staff all had to work in the cold and the dark. Oh my, I mean, there's lots in there. One, what an absolute shambles of a building that the central heating isn't working. I know. For a start. Uh, and then two, that you're only allowed one heater in your office or you short circuit the whole thing. That's ridiculous. Well, at time of recording, obviously, Jacob Rees-Mogg is not here to answer for himself. But yes, we will get in touch with Jacob Rees-Mogg and uh, <laughs> find out more about Heatergate, um, as, as it will forever now be called. 
And uh, any response that we get from him, we will post on social media um, alongside our, our episode. Um, gosh, that... <laughs> Gosh, that is quite something um, for our jaw dropping. And that's happening just this week, actually, at Portcullis House on Whitehall, top of Whitehall, just beside Parliament there. Um, Frankie, did, was there something from the year as well that you wanted to consider to be your jaw dropping moment? And clearly what has been an exceptional year. What's, what's the moment do you think that stands out? Mine's a little bit different. And I thought long and hard about this. Um, but actually, I think my jaw dropping moment from this year was actually when the Rwanda policy was announced and I suppose because I work in human rights and I work with asylum seekers I have quite like a personal feeling generally about our politics but for me it felt like we'd really turned a corner in terms of how right wing our politics have got and how right wing our approaches to essentially human rights issues like immigrants and asylum seekers has become and I was surprised given the fact that the context of this year, we've seen kind of, you know, the Ukraine war, we've seen increased tensions in places like Syria, we've seen the dreadful resurgence of the Taliban in Afghanistan. And yet, you know, politically, it seemed like the country was at a place that it would be accepting a policy like the Rwanda one, even though so many experts in the space were saying this is actually a breach of international law, it breaks the UN potentially convention on human rights. And for me, I think the jaw dropping moment in particular was at conference, the Tory party conference, and you had Suella Braverman saying that her dream was to have a front page of the Telegraph and having a plane taking that first tranche of asylum seekers off to Rwanda and I it was kind of jaw-dropping for me in a sad way that for me the kind of politics that I championed and worked for when I was in the leader of the opposition's office it had felt like in the last couple of years they were so far away from the kind of conversations that we were having you know when we thought we were going to get into number 10 so sorry to bring the mood down but yeah for me that was like a real pinch me moment of like mm. where where are we now politically how far have we fallen in my kind of personal viewpoint yeah that's really interesting really interesting and it's something that we've talked about on the podcast before and we will talk about again the rwanda policy because as kirsty was highlighting even last week even though it has been deemed lawful um in the in the uh, ruling this week actually is going to be tied up isn't it for for months and months and months to come with appeals and whatnot so its existence is perhaps where the government were going with it to generate conversation, argument, whatever. And as you say, to kind of uh, build on that, those feelings and those attitudes of people. Uh, but I wonder actually if 2023 will, be, will still be dominated by the Rwanda policy in our discussions as well. Um, I think that'll be quite interesting. Um, thank you both for your insight as always. Um, Frankie, it's so good to have you uh, join us towards the end of the year, but obviously into the new year as well. And Kirsty. The OG, still going strong. Goodness me, you deserve some sort of medal, I think, uh, at this point. Uh, I feel like you got me as a secret Santa present. <laughs> it's a great secret Santa right. present. <laughs> yeah. Have we any other business that we need to wrap up before we go our separate ways for a couple of weeks? Are we all good? Everybody happy? I suppose we need to say thank you to you, don't we? No, for don't do bringing that. us all together and being such a great host. <laughs> no, no, we really don't need to do that. Let's edit that out. We'll edit... <laughs> We'll edit that out of the episode. No problem at all. Uh, right, good. Thank you both. Have a really very lovely Christmas. 
we will reconvene in the new year fear not whitehall sources isn't going anywhere the next couple of weeks you will still get episodes dropping into your podcast feed um so look out for those they are genuinely properly festive treats uh, you'll really enjoy those so they'll be with you the next couple of weeks and we will get back uh, with you to do our episodes as usual in the new year um, until then merry christmas have a lovely one and we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks 